I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 16 is where we will spend time together in God's Word this morning. And I want to say to you, if you're new to North River Church, we are so excited that you're here. Our pattern every single week as we gather together is to open God's Word and to work through books of the Bible, verse by verse, passages of Scripture, because we take God at his word, that when his word is proclaimed, it will not return void. It will accomplish everything that he desires for it to accomplish in our lives. And so you've come in this morning and the Lord wants to accomplish something in your life and he can do that through his word. And so this morning, as we open God's word together, my heart be my prayer for you and for me is that our hearts would be in tune to what God wants to do in our lives today. As we look at Genesis chapter 16, continue on in this series through the very first book of the Bible. I don't know if you have ever experienced this, but if I'm ever in a situation where I don't know how to fix something, or the check engine light comes on in my truck and I find out what the code is, or I'm trying to figure out how to best cook something. The first place that I go is YouTube. Anybody else do that? Now, YouTube is terrible for some things, but if you don't know what you're doing, it is perfect to figure out how to fix something. And if you go down the YouTube rabbit trail enough, as I've done at times, you will watch as someone will venture out into the woods and they'll come across some classic car that is all rusted out. And they'll bring that car back and they'll fix the car up and they'll take it from being just an absolute disaster and turn it into something that is absolutely beautiful. And then an hour of your life is gone. But you'll see them take things like a watch that's been sitting on the ocean floor for years and salt waters come inside the case and damaged everything and, and an expert will come in and they'll take all the hundreds of pieces of the mechanical watch apart and clean it and bring it back to life. They'll take a disaster, a mess, and they'll turn it into something beautiful. What I want you to know this morning is that we serve a God who does the exact same thing. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, he took you from an absolute disaster, dead in your sin, separated from him, and through his son Jesus Christ, forgave you of your sins and brought you into the family of God. He took you from a mess and turned you in to a message of his grace and of his mercy. What we're going to see in Genesis chapter 16 this morning is God do just that with Abram and Sarai, his wife. God take a broken, dysfunctional situation and in the midst of all of that, in the midst of the sin, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the problems that are on display in the text, even in that, to bring about his grace and his mercy, to remind us that we serve a God 
who can take the brokenness of our lives, the mess of our lives, and turn it in to a beautiful message of His grace and His mercy. I want to read the text for us this morning, Genesis chapter 16. This is what God's Word says. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude." And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord. Who you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Laha Rohe. It lies between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You know, the reality is that there are passages in Scripture that if you were trying to pick out what passage to walk through, this would probably not be on the top of your priority list. It is a dysfunctional story that's displayed here for us. I mean, there are so many problems contained in this passage. And here's the beautiful thing about it. As a pastor, when you're preaching through books of the Bible, you come across texts like this, and you have one of two options. Skip it, 
And everybody goes, why'd pastor skip that? Or dive deep in it and see that even in the dysfunction, even in the brokenness of our sin, even in the problems we experience in our lives, that God is still at work. God is at work. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea, this truth that'll frame our time together in the text in Genesis 16. And it's this reality. God is able to take a disastrous mess and transform it into a beautiful message of his grace and his mercy. God is able to take a disastrous mess, and I just want you to know this story is a disastrous mess. And yet, even in the midst of that, God is able to transform it into a beautiful story of his grace and his mercy. And so this passage for us this morning should give us hope. It should give us hope in the God that we serve to remind us of how good and faithful He is. Now, I want you to remind yourself of where you are in the story of Abram's life at this point. We encountered Abram several chapters ago as we were navigating through the book of Genesis. God had called Abram, had made a promise to Abram that he would bless Abram. He would turn Abram into a great nation, that all of the nations of the earth would be blessed as a result of Abram's lineage. We know, looking back, that God fulfilled that promise through his son, Jesus Christ. Every single nation of the earth is blessed because every tribe and tongue and nation will be gathered around the throne room of God, praising the Savior of their souls. And yet, at this point in chapter 16, Abram still does not have a child. We've seen Abram up and down over the last couple of chapters as well. At moments, walking in obedience to the Lord, trusting God, walking by faith. Even last chapter, we saw that on display. Moments of doubt, moments of trust, moments of struggle, moments of boldness in his faith. And we're going to see this morning, probably, if I would say, one of the greatest disasters in Abram's life. I want you to notice, beginning in verse 1, as Abram and his wife are childless, Sarai, Abram's wife, verse 1, had borne him no children. And she had a female Egyptian servant or slave whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So go into my servant. It may be that I will obtain. I, her. You see the disaster already? You see the problem already that we're presented with in the text? There is no child for Sarah. There's no child for Abram. And so instead of waiting, trusting that God would fulfill his promise to them, they decided to take matters into their own hands. Have you ever done that? Amen or ouch, right? Walking with the Lord and you look and go, God, you just, you just aren't coming through. 
God, you're not doing it on my timeline. God, you've not fulfilled the promise that you've made. God, I don't see what you're doing. I don't see your hand at work. God, let me take that back and let me go my own way and my own path separate from walking in obedience to you. And I'm going to make this thing happen myself. Anybody ever experienced that? I want you to notice that that's exactly what is going on in the text. That Sarai is looking and saying, I don't have children. Evidently, God's not going to bless us, Abram. And I've got a plan. My plan is I'm going to take my Egyptian slave and I'm going to give her to you and maybe I'll obtain children through her. I want you to notice Abram's response. Abram said, that's a disaster waiting to happen. Is that what your Bible says? Mine either. Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, husbands, let me caution you. Do not go home today and say, Pastor said, I don't have to listen to you anymore. But if it's a disaster, don't listen, all right? And that's exactly what's going on here. They're trying to take matters into their own hands. Sarai's hatched this plan. Now, there are some major issues already that we see. One, the issue of slavery. At this point in time, there is no value placed on Hagar. In fact, as we read through this, I want you to take note that at no place when Abram and Sarai are talking about Hagar, do they even say her name. The only person who says her name is the writer of this passage and the angel of the Lord who speaks to her on God's behalf. Abram and Sarai don't even value her as a person. That's a problem because if we rewind in the book of Genesis, we were reminded in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, repeated again in Genesis chapter 8, that every single human being is created in the very image of God and has value and worth because they are created in the image of God. But for Abram and Sarah in this moment, they do not value Hagar as a person. She's simply a means to them getting what they want outside of God's plan and God's purpose. Not only that, I want you to notice in verse 3, so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant or her slave, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a quote-unquote wife. Say, Pastor, why did you put those quotes there? Because the reality is God's word is very, very clear. Back in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, reaffirmed by Jesus throughout the scriptures, the sanctity of marriage between one man and one woman. This is devaluing the institution of marriage in this moment. Sarai in her mind thinks we can obtain the promise of God not doing it God's way. So I'm going to grab this slave who has no rights 
And I'm going to make her your quote-unquote wife so that we can have a child. It is brokenness on all kinds of levels here. In fact, when you read this passage, you look and realize that Hagar in this moment has to experience a measure of brokenness being devalued as a person, being used simply to bear a child. I mean, this is incredibly problematic. It is dysfunctional on multiple levels. If you're taking notes this morning, write down this first truth that we see in these first six verses. Disaster awaits every time we try to obtain the promises of God according to the flesh. Every time we try to secure the promises of God going about it in our own strength and our own power at every turn, it will lead to disaster. What's interesting is Abram had a moment where he could have looked at his wife and said, this is going to be disastrous. And yet instead of that, he goes along, complicit in the plan of devaluing Hagar, complicit in the plan of using Hagar to try and gain the promise of God that God had already told Abram that he would fulfill. And yet for them in this moment, it wasn't in their timeline. Years had gone by from God's promise. They weren't sure if God was going to come through. Abram was getting older in years Could he even have children anymore? I mean, there's so much swirling around this that they think if we just take it in our own hands, we can do what God may not be able to do. We can secure his promises in our own strength, in our own power. There is nothing about this that you could look at and said they did a good job because they didn't. It was sin on all fronts. Not only that, it compounds. I want you to know in verse 5 that after this takes place, after Hagar conceives, it says that there arose in verse 5 a problem between Sarai and Hagar. Go figure. Imagine that. That Sarai is upset at this. In fact, she looks and she says to Abram in verse 5, may the wrong done to me be on you. It's your fault. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And again, in a moment when Abram could have stood up for Hagar in this situation. Instead, in verse 6, he says to Sarai, Behold, your servant, your slave, is in your power. Do to her as you please. She is nothing more than property for you. Do whatever you want to do with her. You know, it's interesting that you don't have to get too far outside of sin entering the world in the book of Genesis to see brokenness on display. 
And the reality is, what's wrong with our world in which we live today and what's wrong with you today is the brokenness of sin in your life. And here we see brokenness. We see dysfunction. We see the problems going on in this situation. You know, it's interesting though because I want to get personal with it for just a bit. When we think about trying to fulfill or obtain the promises of God according to the flesh, doing it our own way, I want you to think about it in relation to your own life and even in the relation to us as a church family. One of the promises that God has made to his church is that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That God is going to work through the power of the local church to accomplish his mission on this planet of seeing lost people come to faith in Jesus Christ and discipled and sent out into the world to share the hope that can be found in Jesus with those who are far from him. That's a promise that God has made. But if we're not careful, we can look at that promise and think as a church, well, maybe God needs my help. You know, in fact, we live in a culture right now that that if we're honest, sometimes, let's be honest, most of the time, doesn't line up with what we believe from God's word. So maybe we can help God out a bit and compromise on the truth of his word so that we can get more people and grow the church. And there are churches that are doing that. And yet what we're reminded of is the truth that we cannot obtain the promises of God according to the flesh without it turning into a disaster. And so I want you to know, as your pastor at North River Church, as long as I'm here, and I hope when I die one day and I'm not here, that this church will remain fixed and firm on the truth of God's word without compromise in a culture that is begging for us to compromise. And if we're not careful, we'll be just like Abram and Sarai, convincing ourselves in our own mind that it's okay as long as we get the results that we want. And it will lead to disaster. I want you to think about that in relation to your own life. One of the promises that God has made to his people is that we would experience life abundantly on this earth. And that doesn't mean red Ferrari, okay? It's not what that means. But that we would enjoy living life, walking in obedience in relationship with the Lord. That we would enjoy God's presence as we navigate this world in which we live. And God gives good gifts to his children, but if we're not careful, we will pursue joy by placing whatever that gift of the Lord is on the throne of our hearts and ultimately begin worshiping that thing instead of worshiping the Lord. We will try to obtain the promise of joy in our life, but we'll try to go about it satisfying the desire of the flesh, thinking that that will ultimately bring us the joy that we're longing for. 
I don't know what that situation looks like in your life, but can I issue you a moment of caution right here? To ask the question, as you look at this passage of Scripture, where am I tempted to do what we see on display here? Where am I tempted to try to gain the promises of God, but to do it according to the flesh in my life? Where's the disaster that you're experiencing right now? And could it be that it's tied to what we see going on in the text this morning? I want you to notice that as we continue on in verse 7, Not only do we see that disaster awaits every time we try to obtain the promises of God according to the flesh, but notice this second truth that we see in these remaining verses. Even in the disastrous mess created by trying to obtain the promises of God according to the flesh, even in that brokenness, our God sees I want you to notice how it relates here to Hagar, one who is not named by Abram or Sarai in this moment. I want you to notice that God sees her. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur, and he said, notice, calls her by name. He said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, Where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. And the angel said to her, return to your mistress, submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you will bear a son And you will call his name Ishmael, which literally means God hears. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. Some of you who have sons are going, that's my son. (laughs) Wild donkey of a man. And what you have to know is as you read through this, looking down through the portal of history, you realize that this step, this action taken by Abram and Sarah in this moment would bring strife for God's people moving forward. There are still consequences for their sin moving forward generation after generation. But here, notice verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. You are a God who sees. Hagar, who had not been valued at all in this passage, not been valued at all in her interaction with Abram and Sarai, not been valued, not even been called by name. God calls her by name. And she, in response, said, you are a God who sees. You are a God who sees me in my brokenness. You're a God who sees me in my affliction. You're a God who sees me when no one else sees me. God, you see me. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. 
She named the well that she was close by, Bir Lahai Rai. It lays between Kadesh and Bered. The moment for her is, let's name this well about after the God who sees. You know, what's interesting is when you look at the word that's translated here as a God who sees, if you look at it, it's also translated as shepherd. So you have shepherd, you have the God who sees, you have one who's taking notice of someone or something. I don't think that's by accident. Because what you realize as you fast forward through the pages of Scripture, as you look at John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11, you may want to write this down in your notes so that you can go back and look at this. But Jesus Christ says about himself, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd who sees and knows his sheep and calls them by name. The God who sees Hagar in this moment and calls her by name is the same God who sees his sheep and calls them by name. This is simply pointing us forward to the ultimate Messiah who would come, who is the good shepherd, who knows us by name, who calls us to himself, who extends to us through his life, death, and resurrection forgiveness for our sins and brings us in to the family of God. He is a God who sees. He is the good shepherd. You know, what's interesting as you look at this, not only does God see Hagar in her affliction, Hagar in her being victimized, Hagar in her not being treated even as a person. I want you to notice too, though, that God also sees Abram and Sarai. Those who committed this sin against Hagar, those who didn't trust that God would fulfill his promise. If it were up to me, I would have said, let's start over. And yet, as we're going to see, God is even able to take the mess of Abram and Sarah, their doubt, their struggle to believe his promises and able to turn it into a beautiful message of his grace and his mercy. See, if you fast forward to Paul's writing in Galatians chapter 4, Paul is going to look back to this passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 16. And it's interesting to me because there are passages of Scripture that I would look at and go, I ain't talking about that. I'm not covering that. I'm not looking at that. That is, that's, I mean, what do you gain from this? Well, Paul looks back in Galatians chapter four. You may want to write that down. And he says about this, that it is a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you go, how do you get there? How do you get there from this type of dysfunction to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, he reminds his readers that you and I cannot obtain salvation through our own effort. 
that we can't be good enough, we can't do enough righteous acts, we can't earn our way to salvation. And he says, if you want to know what it looks like to try to earn the promises of God going at your own way, in Galatians chapter 4, he says, look at this passage of Scripture back in Genesis where they tried to obtain the promise of God through their own strength and their own power. And he looks, Paul does, looking back and says, it don't work. It doesn't happen like that. You can't earn the favor of God by being good enough or righteous enough or earning what you think you should deserve because of your good works. And then he highlights the message of the gospel. And he says that it is all a work of the grace and the mercy of God. That we can't earn our way to salvation, but we can receive the salvation that is freely offered to us because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. In the same way that God looks at this situation and he says, it doesn't work, that's not how it's going to be fulfilled. I'm still in my grace and mercy going to bring about a child for you, Abram and Sarai. I don't need your help. I just need you to walk in obedience. And we see Paul highlight that and say to those that he's writing to, receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, not through your effort and your works, but through faith in what Christ has done for you. Maybe here this morning and for you, you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've never taken the step of receiving the free gift of salvation that is offered to you on the basis of Jesus' life that was lived perfectly, on the basis of His death, which He paid for our sins on the cross. And on the basis of his resurrection, when he defeated death, hell, and the grave. And this morning is an opportunity for you to receive that gift of salvation, to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone and be saved. Let me ask you if you are already a follower of Jesus this morning. Where are you tempted to try to obtain the promises of God according to the flesh. Where are you tempted in your life in this moment? You may be here and you go, Pastor, my life is an absolute disaster right now. My marriage is a disaster. My kids are a disaster. My work's a disaster. And I'm not saying that this is it all the time, but there are often times when we look and go, why am I experiencing this disaster? And the reality is we are trying to do and obtain what God has promised to us in our own strength, in our own power, according to the flesh. And if that's you this morning, you have an opportunity right now to turn from that. To experience the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ in this moment, that even in your brokenness and even in your sin, He has extended to you forgiveness that you can receive today. I want to ask you if you'd bow your heads with me this morning. As our worship team makes their way back up, 
We have an opportunity to respond to the Lord. You may be here today and for you, the step that you need to take is for the very first time to receive salvation made available to you through Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard it before and you've just never responded. Maybe it's the first time that you've heard it and you realized how freeing it is to be able to respond by faith and receive forgiveness this morning, that you don't have to try harder, do better, earn the favor of God. That by trusting Jesus Christ and what he's done this morning, you can experience the favor of God because of what he's done on your behalf. Receive salvation today. If you've got questions about that, I'd love nothing more than to help you take that step this morning to answer those questions. You're going to respond in just a little bit if you'd like coming down to speak with one of our pastors this morning or maybe you want to fill out a connection card and just check that you'd like to speak with a pastor. You'd like to talk about salvation, how to take that step. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus this morning and this passage of scripture has brought conviction in your life. The Holy Spirit has identified in your life a situation, a circumstance where you're trying to obtain the promise of God, the favor of God, and you're going about it your own way. And you're asking God to bless something that is not in line with how he's called you to walk in obedience to him. And this is a moment for you to turn from that sin today. Don't let this day pass you by without turning from that. Because the guarantee of God's word is it will ultimately end in disaster if you continue on this path. The Lord in his grace has offered to spare you this morning from that disaster if you'll simply turn from that sin unto him. Father, we ask that you would work in our hearts and our lives over the next few moments, God, that through your spirit, you would convict us of sin, that you would, Lord, draw people to yourself. God, maybe even those who are far from you and have never trusted Jesus Christ for salvation, that this day would be the day of salvation for them, where they respond by faith. God, you move, you work. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we have an opportunity to sing for you to respond this morning? Our altar's open, our pastors are down front. You respond as the Lord leads today.